0: You're about to listen to my podcast with Paul Moyetti, a very distinguished person. I can't believe he has uh, 402 peer-reviewed articles and has been cited so many times. We had an interesting call. Uh, We talked about the microbiome and how that may be different in people with irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, et cetera. And, uh, Paul seems to be privy to many, many, many studies, a lot of which his, his hand has been in, um, to elucidate what's going on. Why do people have irritable bowel? Why do they have Crohn's and how does the microbiome play a role? You know, what species of bacteria are there or not there when people have these problems? How can we intervene? You may have heard of fecal transplants. Well, do they work? Uh, Paul's got privy to some studies where he talks about what's happened and why do they work we get into that a little bit so um, it's rare to have someone with this amount of knowledge and publications so you definitely want to listen in and I encourage um, if you're not getting all the information you want and you want to go deeper Obviously, Paul, again, has over 402 uh, peer-reviewed articles. He may be amenable to you reaching out, but he uh, certainly got a wealth, an uh, unbelievable wealth of knowledge about microbiome. If you have Crohn's or IBD or any of these uh, gastrointestinal-related disorders, you're going to want to listen in. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. My guest today is Dr. Paul Moyetti. He qualified from Bristol University and obtained a PhD and master's in public health. From the University of Leeds. He moved to McMaster University in 2004 and was the director of the Division of Gastroenterology at McMaster until 2017. He holds the Audrey Campbell Chair of Ulcerative Colitis Research and is currently the Assistant Dean of Research at McMaster. Amazingly, he's published 402 peer reviewed articles and has been cited over 49,000 times with an H index of 106. He was the co editor in chief of the American Journal of. Gastroenterology 2010-2015. to He's currently joint coordinating editor of the Upper GI and Pancreatic Disease Cochrane Review Group and a proponent of evidence-based medicine. Many, many, many credentials. Looking forward to speaking with him today. We're going to be talking about uh, the microbiome and its impact on irritable bowel syndrome um, and other associated disorders. Well, uh, Paul, thanks for coming. How are you doing today?
1: I'm all right. How are you?
0: Good, good. Glad to talk to you. Um, I saw that you've had a... Uh, 400 plus publications which is amazing and uh, you know you've been in this field for quite a long time what's the current work that you're doing what uh, questions or answers or things are you looking at right now
1: well uh, we're really interested in how uh, uh, gut uh, bacteria affect health Uh, I'm a gastroenterologist so the uh, focus is of course on uh, uh, gastroenterological diseases Um, uh, But I'm also uh, collaborating with many other disciplines, including psychiatrists, because we feel that gut bacteria uh, also influence our our mood. And that if we change them, we might be able to help anxiety and and depression. Uh, So I'm leading a network across uh, Canada called the Imagine Network, which is uh, studying both uh, GI and psychiatric diseases.
0: So, uh, is your focus exclusively on the gut microbiome or is it more on the uh, physiology of the different parts of the gut?
1: Uh, So, no, my focus is not just uh, the microbiome, uh, although that's certainly uh, a very uh, uh, worthwhile area of research and involves a lot of what I do at the moment. But uh, I'm someone who believes in uh, a movement called evidence based medicine. So, it's about designing the right study to answer questions about how we uh, improve health Um, even today there's a lot of uh, medicine that's just practiced because of belief rather than true evidence that uh, something works so uh, I do a lot of studies uh, trying to uh, improve our understanding of why what treatments work and what don't but a a large focus of that at the moment is on, on the microbiome.
0: Um, when people talk about the gut microbiome, I mean the gut is. I mean, where is the gut? You know, there's the the rectum, there's the sigmoid colon, and then the whole colon itself, and the, the cecum, the small intestine. I mean, how have um, have anyone sampled when they sample the gut microbiome? Where are they sampling from? Usually, it's just the rectal part. And uh, where are the different niches along, let's say, the colon? Have we have we even gone? far into the colon to see what's there or is it not possible uh
1: it's it's relatively straightforward to look at the colon although there are challenges there too as i'll talk about in a minute but what i would say is most of Uh, research into uh, gut bacteria relates to the stool. Obviously, it passes down the gut and comes out in stool. So it's the obvious thing to um, study and the least invasive. Although, of course, um, that only gives a snapshot of what is going on in the body. And as you say, if we look at the colon, that's the large intestine, that is teeming with bacteria. And uh, the nearest, nearer you go to the rectum, the more bacteria they are. But the whole of the colon is, is uh, uh, has the highest concentration of bacteria in the planet, in our human colons. And... Um, Uh, it is said that there are more bacteria in our colons than um, stars in the galaxy Uh, and the bottom line is it's very difficult to study because there's just so much information Uh, but there does seem to be some changes as you move from the right side of the colon to the left uh, which is closer to the rectum Uh, but what those changes really mean I think it's fair to say we don't know Uh, When you go into the small bowel, that's where all the digestion takes place. There are a lot less bacteria there, um, uh, but there's still lots. (laughs) Uh, And some of them are important for our digestion. as you move further up the gutter into the stomach, uh, there is far less there. The only one we know actually lives in the stomach is a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. But really, um, there are many others you see, but whether they're just passing through or, or truly colonizing the stomach is is uncertain at this stage.
0: Well, have there been studies that have taken, you know, it's very gross, but a stool, the whole stool itself, and cut into the middle of it and seen if there's different bacteria in there versus the outside maybe they'd be remnants of uh, part earlier in the colon or you know if you looked at someone that has uh, diarrhea versus you know is constipated how different is the stool and the bacteria in it?
1: Um, so yeah uh, mostly when you analyze this you homogenize the stool so I, I'm not sure anyone has um, looked at the middle versus the outside uh, although my guess is if you, if you did that you you might culture more anaerobic that 's uh, bacteria that don 't like um, uh, oxygen in the middle compared to the outside, where of course it 's exposed to oxygen but that 's just a guess i don 't think anyone 's looked at that, but you 're right uh, if you have diarrhea, one would expect um, the uh, uh, the bacteria to look different and, and they do but you don't know if that's uh, the, because of the diseases that are causing the diarrhoea, or um, you know, just a consequence of having a rapid transit of your stool. Uh, there is, we're only scratching the surface at the moment, and we we don't really know. And in terms of does the stool represent the colon, the answer is if you if you do biopsies, take small samples of tissue from the colon when you do a colonoscopy. Um, there are some differences, but it seems that stool is reasonably representative. Uh, and even when we sample all around the colon, we don't know that that is. Uh uh the truth because as you say in order to do a colonoscopy we give people diarrhea so you know what we're looking at is a, is also a function of the bowel prep that we've given uh, so knowing what's truly inside us is more of a challenge than you might think
0: well i wonder if you could um, characterize the bacteria in the stool and, and determine like let's say you do a colonoscopy you see someone has polyps where they have colorectal cancer and then you go back and you analyze their stool. I wonder if you could tell from the stool if they have polyps or they had colorectal cancer, because if you could reliably do that, then you might not need colonoscopies anymore at some point. You could just use stool samples.
1: Oh, actually, that is something one of my colleagues, uh, uh, Dr. Selina, in collaboration with the engineering department at McMaster, is looking at a stool test that could rival the FIT test, which we uh, normally use as a stool test to uh, to diagnose uh, polyps and colon cancer. Uh, But as yet, we can't say that. Uh, And this is true of many diseases where you look at um, is when people study it, they find that people with colon cancer, for example, have a different gut bacteria to those that do not. But everyone comes with a slightly, somewhat different story. And it's because of all that information I was talking about, that vast amount of bacteria. Usually, these are just small numbers of patients studied. And um, you can create any story you like, but you've just got so much information there, you can't be sure that story is true. And that's why when different researchers look at this problem, they, they come to Different conclusions, all saying it's different, but different in different ways. Um, and this is why we have this Imagine Network in, in Canada, which um, uh, aims to um, recruit two thousand people with Crohn's disease, two thousand with ulcerative colitis. Um, these are inflammatory conditions of the bowel. Two thousand with irritable bowel syndrome, a more common problem causing. Pain and changing bowel habit. Two people and two thousand people are healthy. When we've got all eight thousand people, we hope we are, we will have uh, much more information to really drill down what the true differences are and what's just happening by chance.
0: So, what in particular are you working on right now? What's the latest that uh, you're trying to figure out?
1: Well, that, we're halfway recruiting that study that I'm talking about, this large group of people who are kindly volunteering to take part in this study. Um, and our focus particularly relates to both irritable bowel syndrome, but also a thing called inflammatory bowel disease, uh, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease. These effects uh, predominantly start in young adults and teenagers. And uh, we don't know what causes it. uh, But once you have this disease, it's lifelong associated with, in the case of Crohn's disease, severe pain and diarrhoea, ulcerative colitis, mainly just diarrhoea, but sometimes very severe uh, and really uh, impacts on the quality of life. Um, and uh, the drugs used to treat it called biologics are, are very expensive and have a side of, okay, sometimes have side effects um, and do alter the immune system so um, could could have serious side effects related to that in some people uh, and that 's not to say that they 're not miraculous in in some patients, but in others you know they really struggle with their disease. And we feel the cause is in the gut and likely to be uh, bacteria, virus, or fungus that's sitting in your gut driving this disease. If we can identify that, we might be able to cure these diseases and uh, uh, help uh, you know, millions of sufferers across the Western world who, who have
0: this. It seems like since everyone's microbiome is different, it makes sense to profile someone if you could when they're healthy, and then when they're sick, you know continue to profile them to see the change and that might give you a specific plan for them you know they these microbes seem to have disappeared these are now in abundance can we somehow restore that previous balance for them that worked
1: Uh, yeah uh, that's a very good idea and one that uh, uh, in Canada we have uh, have uh, been doing for about 15 years now uh, that is called the GEM project, uh, G-E-M, stands for Genetics, Environment and Microbiome. Uh, that's led by Dr. Ken Kreuteru from Toronto. Uh, I'm also involved in that, um, but but Dr. Kreuteru is leading that study. And um, uh, he has collected 5,000 first degree relatives, that's uh, brothers and sisters and parents or parents of an index case with Crohn's disease and hopes and uh, collects their stool at baseline and most of them will not go on to develop disease but if you have a first degree relative with the disease you're more likely to develop it and we were predicting that over follow-up about 75 people out of those 5,000 would go on to develop Crohn's disease And indeed, that has has happened now. So uh, we're analysing that to see what the differences are. As yet, we do not have data on this, but we will in the near future. And uh, uh, that uh, may well give us some of the answers you are talking about. But again, I would emphasise that uh, doing that uh, makes sense, but you need so many people. And with 5,000 high-risk people, we're only getting 75 with Crohn's disease, which, which is great. It means that most of the people participating are not suffering, but also um, means that we don't have that rich information that uh, I was talking about with the other studies. So the two are complementary. Um, I suspect uh, when we do the analysis of the GEM study, we will have interesting uh, possibilities uh, but we won't have enough patients with the disease to, um, to be certain that uh, this, uh, this microbe is causing the cr- Crohn's in this
0: case. I don't think we could yeah. ever be certain. I mean, 75 well, but, seems to be a lot more than a lot of clinical trials have.
1: Yeah, but you, you need, you know, most of research is based on being reasonably certain. So we often talk about p-values of less than 0.05, which means there's a 1 in 20 chance that the observed differences you have are by chance. If you go on less than that, there's all sorts of hypotheses you're throwing up all the time that are just not real. Um, And even at that level, there are some that are not real, but hopefully others that are. Uh, So that is why we're cautious, because if you have lots of interesting possibilities, all you do is chase your tail uh, looking at hypotheses most of which that aren't true so you've got you've got to set the bar reasonably high not to be absolutely certain that's never possible but to be reasonably certain that this might be real uh, you know a bit like uh, throwing a, a dice if you throw a double six that could be your chance if you do it a lot of times then that's likely that the dice are loaded. It's that sort of uh, thing that we're trying to get to the bottom of uh, when we do these studies. Um, So, uh, How
0: many people do you think it would take, or who knows, until the data comes in, to give you a strong signal that Crohn's is coincident with a certain bacteria?
1: Yeah, just knowing what we know now about the microbiome rather than what we did 15 years ago, my impression is to be absolutely certain we're going to need a lot more than 5,000 people followed up. But that's also, it was a real struggle to do that. Dr. Crotero has to be congratulated for for, uh, for collecting that number of people as well as all the investigators contributing to this in Canada, England, the US and Israel. But um the bottom line is, if you, the more certain you are going to be with the numbers, the more impossible the study becomes. So this is why we're attacking it from different angles. On the one hand, we're doing the study you suggested. On the other hand, we're also looking at people with already who already have the disease. Uh, there we can get much bigger numbers more quickly, uh, but we, we have less certainty of what is the cause and what is the consequence of the disease. And then finally, uh, we can do interventions uh, such as faecal transplants, which we are also doing in Crohn's disease and colitis, uh, changing the gut bacteria and looking to see who responds to that treatment and why. What what about their bacteria changed to bring about that that success? And uh, we we were the first in the world to start a randomised trial in fecal transplants in ulcerative colitis and we're doing, we almost finished another one now and hopefully uh, we will uh, also learn a, a lot about uh, what is driving these diseases from these types of studies.
0: What's been noticed with fecal transplants? Have you, have you collected stool done a, a fecal transplant and then collected stool again to see you know, a day later or a week later, what happens to the person's gut microbiome?
1: Yeah. So the design of the first study uh, was that we took 75 people and we with ulcerative colitis with active disease that had dar- diarrhoea, often with blood in it, and feeling unwell, um, and either had elected not to have the sorts of treatments I was uh, talking about, or the treatments they were taking were not working, and then we randomised them half to have uh, fecal transplants from a a healthy donor uh, and we gave it via an enema um, once a week for six weeks and uh, uh, the other half got a placebo which was water. Uh, Now you may think that would be obvious to the person but actually when we're talking about fecal transplant it isn't truly feces we're giving it's actually fecally contaminated water. So of course when you put water up there comes out fecally contaminated anyway. That was the design and uh, we did show uh, success. Uh, twen- uh, a quarter of the people uh, went into remission at six weeks. Uh, it's not so miraculous like the treatment of C. difficile but nevertheless it you know for those people who responded it was it was great for them and actually that that is as good a success rate as you get with the uh, biologics, uh, some of which cost um, ten to $20,000 a year to treat a patient with, whereas obviously still is a lot cheaper. So, um, you know, this is certainly interesting. It's a small number of patients. This is, uh, this is not certain uh, which uh, donors to use, how long to give it for, etc. Uh, but um, two groups in Australia, two different groups, have uh, confirmed our findings and uh, we believe this could be an interesting approach for sufferers of ulcerative colitis and we're just trying to refine the questions so that uh, uh, or our understanding of how this works so that we can make it better in the future and we're also uh, starting uh, uh, trials in Crohn's disease uh, this time with uh, capsules uh, of uh, donor feces, obviously carefully encapsulated, so it's only released in the small bowel. We will see if that is a success as well. That study is led out of Edmonton by uh, Dina Cow and Karen Madsen.
0: But what did you see when you looked at the stool of the uh, the people that had the fecal transplants? You know, what what were the main differences? Were there different bacteria that predominated? You know, what 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 jumps out at you when you compare the uh, the stool of the people before they had the transplant after?
1: Uh, right. Well, what, what jumps out at you is, first of all, um, transplant is, a, uh, is not a great name, although it's with us now, so it's it stuck. But nothing is being, you know, transplant, when you transplant a kidney, the other person's kidney now is in you. With stool, it isn't that you gain the other person's stool. Our best guess is you gain about 10% of the organisms from the donor stool. So there is a shift in your gut bacteria, but it's not a wholesale shift. There's just some organisms that, that you then keep from the donor and lose from yourself. Again, a lot of these are different to different people, so it's difficult to give any uh, firm conclusions about what is driving the success although uh, my colleague Mike Surrett who I am uh, collaborating with uh, the my- a microbiologist at McMaster uh, his team are actually culture enhancing uh, the-, the stool which gives you a much richer pic- picture than you get with a normal 16-SRNA which is sort of. Technique where you amplify the DNA and RNA of the, of the bacteria, there, or metagenomics, which is a, a different way of doing that. Uh, both of those give a rich picture, but you get much richer still if you culture that, although it is very expensive and time consuming. And they, they've done that with our donors uh, and looking at what part of the donor is going to the recipient. That work is yet to be published, but it is providing interesting data.
0: Have you looked at? I guess you you can look at three things: the bacterial constituents of the donor, the fecal donor, the bacterial constituents of the recipient before the donation, and then after. So, if you look at those three, what was observed that jumps out at you?
1: Yeah. So, when we look at this overall, uh, we realize that the word transplant is a uh, uh, is is not a great description because it's only about ten percent of the donor bacteria. Uh, end up taking in the recipient. And so the recipient's bacteria change somewhat, but there's not a wholesale a wholesale change towards towards the donor. Um, and others that have done this have shown a similar thing. Uh, now obviously it's interesting to look at the 10% that do take, particularly in those that respond versus those that do not. Uh, and so my colleague Dr. Mike Sorrette, a microbiologist at McMaster University has been uh, evaluating the donors uh, in great detail. Uh, so he and his team can culture uh, most things in the stool, um, which greatly enhances the resolution of what you're seeing in the stool. Uh, usually you do it with uh, DNA and RNA extraction techniques, uh, but when you actually grow the bacteria, you, you can get a lot more information. Uh, so he does that with the donors. It is very expensive and time-consuming, so he, it's difficult to do that with the recipients. But um, we, we certainly are getting some interesting signals, but that work is uh, not published yet. So um, I can't really uh, divulge anything more than that, other than there are changes and uh, I think it's safe to say is we still haven't got a cure yet, but we're, we're inching. For, to for, Sorry, we are further understanding how uh, what these differences are, which hopefully in the future will lead to uh, uh, better treatments for patients.
0: Have you looked at the like in the metabolomics of the uh, the profiles to see? Oh, okay. The uh, you know the donor they were producing these metabolites, and the recipient wasn't. And now we've you know we've added back in some necessary pathways and changed them?
1: So that's a great question. And uh, we didn't do that, not because we didn't think it was important, but just because it's difficult to get funding for this. We're not a, a rich drug company. So uh, pragmatically, we could only afford to do so much. So we focused on the Microbiome rather than the metabolomics, what the gut bacteria are producing in, and usually you look at that in the urine. We are doing that in the bigger study that I talked about before, uh, where in these eight thousand people we will have metabolomic data as well as microbiome data oh nice so we will' we'll send again we'll have a much richer data set there to look at what the bacteria are, what the metabolomics are, and how how active their disease is uh and also compare with healthy controls uh and hopefully see what is um, what is different the other thing about this large study is it, is it is a cohort study so we're following them up over time uh so you know we will see them as uh, some of them sadly will relapse in the disease and get worse some will get better and, and we can see what the changes in the microbiome and the metabolomics are in that setting so uh Uh, We hope that will give useful information and um, I think uh, you know in an ideal world you're absolutely right it would be good to do this with uh, with fecal transplants as well.
0: So what do you think is going to be important in the future uh, when studying the microbiome? What what are like some huge overarching goals? Is it to do things like fecal transplants uh, to modulate people's microbiomes or is it more to change their diet like what do you think will be the big levers on how you can affect people's health positively
1: so i think diet is important and we are studying the patient's diet with a food frequency questionnaire in this last study that i was talking about and yes it will modulate the microbiome and it may be both farming practices and uh, our dietary preferences are what is leading to the rise in inflammatory bowel disease in western populations and Now that countries like Japan are becoming westernized, they're starting to see uh, ulcerative colitis, and I would predict they'll see Crohn's disease in the future as well. Um, So diet is important, but I I do feel once someone has the disease, removing certain things from the diet, it'll all be too late. And I feel that the best way of treating these diseases, uh, both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, is more effective therapy at changing gut bacteria. At the moment, the most promise is with faecal transplants. Uh, that doesn't mean that will always be the case. If we can find an organism that is driving these diseases, we can use antibiotic. But uh, you know, understanding is not that uh, uh, deep or the situation is more complex. We probably will be looking at a form of gut modulation of bacteria with other bacteria so some people are using curated organisms some people are using fecal transplants i'm not sure which will win but my hunch is that nature is going to be the best um, treatment and uh, in the future we will be using i believe using more fecal transplants to treat these diseases and uh, working out how to do it better and which groups are going to do well with this. And uh, basically, uh, hopefully, help a lot of people with these diseases. And as I say, as we collect all this microbiome data, uh, I hope we will, uh, we will end up curing these diseases. The, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the current therapies. They are great but they all modulate the immune system and they're not focusing on what's driving the immune system in the first place. Uh, And that is what I think will lead to understanding a cure for these diseases, which is why I'm so excited by the microbiome. So I think in changing the microbiome, uh, the key will be to uh, modulate it directly, not indirectly by changing the diet, but more directly uh, by uh, antibiotics or uh, fecal transplants i don't think antibiotics uh, are sensible at this stage because we don't understand what's driving the disease and indeed it may be too complex to treat with antibiotics it may not who knows what the future holds but uh, certainly within, from our experience fecal transplants as we understand how they are working uh, may well come into more of the mainstream in these diseases as another option for patients. I would emphasise not yet; It uh, still needs more research. But uh, in the future, uh, this uh, this may be a, a great option for some patients. And uh, uh, hopefully, this early successes uh, we're having will just be enhanced as we as we do this more.
0: Well, very good. Well, Paul, what's the best way for people to you know dip their toe in and find out about some of the work that you're doing how can they get in contact
1: so i would uh contact the website where you'll see a, a vast array of studies in these areas uh, including the large study i talked about in the fecal transplant studies uh, but others as well so i would encourage people to go to um, our website uh, which is uh, www imaginespor.com That's I M A G I N E S P O R uh, dot com, and there you'll get uh, all the contact details. And if you're in the, an area where we're doing this, uh, who to contact in that area?
0: Okay. Well, very good. Okay, no problem. So, um, I guess, Paul, thank you for coming. I appreciate it, and uh, you're doing good work. And it's going to be amazing to see what these these large scale studies are to come up with.
1: Uh, Thanks very much, Richard. It's been great talking to you.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play Please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.